All right, Jonah, the book of Jonah. Uh, we're in, let's read the last verse of, I'll read the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, this is the city of Nineveh, God relented and did not bring on them destruction that had been threatened. I'm not sure how people had a sense of this. God saw that Nineveh had relented, had repented, had turned from their wicked ways. Uh, there'd been, you know, the king had decreed a, a fasting, uh, ashes and sackcloth, and even the goats had to wear goatskins and repentance, and all the cows had to fast and everything. Then God relented and decided not to just to destroy Nineveh. But somehow, people had a sense of that. So you've got to kind of read between the lines, and I, I don't know exactly what's going on or ha happening there. Uh, perhaps the king felt an inexplainable sense of peace, just a sense of well done. It's going to be okay. We've turned towards God. God's merciful and kind and compassionate. The mercy of God. And, and send out another notice to let everybody know, hey, it's, it's all good kind of thing. Uh, perhaps he you know, issues this announcement of good news. Perhaps uh, all of the people suddenly experience that for themselves in the midst of their own repentance and fasting. Maybe they all just experience for themselves a sense of, oh, oh this... Oh, this feels right. This feels okay. This feels God has turned. God is compassionate. God is kind. We can, we, we, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. Let's be grateful for that. Um, you can imagine people coming out of their houses. We've had lockdowns. So it's like coming out onto the house, out of their houses again, onto the streets kind of thing. Perhaps there's tears running down ash-strewn faces, you know, like mascara running kind of thing. You know. I don't know, some sense of rejoicing. Perhaps neighbors are embracing and, and hugging one another and saying, man. God is gracious and kind and compassionate. We've, we've found new life and we're turning from our, our wicked ways. There's, there's some sort of something happening. They're taking off their sackcloths and embracing one another. The next line in the story then, uh, chapter 4 verse 1 or chapter 3 verse 11, whatever the next verse was going to be, it should be, and they all lived happily ever after. Funnily enough though, that's not the next line in the story. Uh, Jonah, aware of the infinite loving kindness of God that swept over the city, is agitated. He's angry. Uh, there's a whole lot of mourners in sackcloth with tears in their eyes embracing. And there's this one guy that didn't put on sackcloth. He's looking a little bit more well to do than everyone else. He's angry and agitated. We pick it up in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger. And, you know, that's a very famous verse. And we know it. We know it as God is uh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, you know, even infinite loving kindness. But I think Jonah's more like, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It is better for me not to live. This is remarkable, obviously, and, and quite hilarious and somewhat in keeping with the, the, the many comedic things that are happening, through, happening throughout the book of uh, Jonah. Uh, a reporter from the Joppa Post has arrived on the scene watching what's going on, and she, she throws a microphone in front of Jonah uh, tell us, sir, how would you describe God? 
Mm, says Jonah, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and relents from sending calamity. And Jonah, what's going on here and how do you feel about it? Jonah kind of mumbles something and pushes the microphone aside and refuses to answer the question. There's not much grace and compassion and love flowing from the heart of Jonah. Uh, he wants to die. Uh, long and short of it, Jonah did not want Nineveh to experience the grace and compassion of God. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Nineveh were the oppressors of Israel. Nineveh are the arch enemies. Nineveh is a city of darkness. In Jonah's book, Nineveh does not deserve kindness, compassion, grace, mercy. It deserves thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. That's what, uh, that's what, Nineveh, that's what Nineveh deserves. It appears that Jonah wants to live in a world of karma rather than grace. Jonah wants a world of what goes around comes around. He wants those that do good to receive good. He wants those that do bad, like those Ninevites, to receive calamity, even as they have extended calamity to the world around them. Uh, he's already forgotten that he's not good enough for a world of karma. He's already forgotten that he actually needs a world of grace. Remember, you know, the whole ship thing thrown overboard, swallowed by an, uh, a whale. Uh, good thing for Jonah that he lives in a world of grace and not a world of karma. And yet I think he's already forgotten that. And he is wishing upon Nineveh what he perceives to be their just deserts. They should get what's coming to them. Good people should get good things. And bad people should get bad things. It appears that that is the world that Jonah is looking for. Uh, I think all of us are guilty of that. Maybe not consistently guilty of it, but certainly guilty of it from time to time. Uh, especially guilty of it maybe in seasons where we've been conscious of the hard work that we've put in, maybe in recent months, to work through an issue, to grow in our trace, uh, trust and faith of God, to, to put our lives together kind of thing. We've, we've knuckled down and we were... Over in that stage, it was kind of brokenness and not good, but we've put in some hard work and we've built something of our lives and, and we've, we've really worked hard for this. And then somebody else that has not done all of that gets some sort of turn of grace, some sort of favorable circumstances. Something goes right for them where they haven't worked hard for that. I think there's something in us always that's like, that doesn't seem fair. It shouldn't be like that. It seems more appropriate to have karma when you feel like you've worked hard feels fairer, you could say. The thing to remember is in a world of karma, you're only one bad decision away from destruction, though. I think they interviewed Bono one time, I think, and they were talking with Bono about karma, and Bono just said, he said, the last thing I want is a world of karma. That's what Bono said. I, he said, I am acutely aware of the grace that I need. I do not need a world of karma. I need a world of grace. Let's carry on. Jonah chapter 4, verse 4 to 8. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out and sat on the east side of the city. So he's, gone, he's exited Nineveh, he's gone up onto the hill, he's looking down on Nineveh. He made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. He's not very happy about Nineveh, but he's very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm 
which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah's really frustrated, I think is the better term. Jonah's, Jonah, I, don't think, I don't think Jonah's suicidal in that sense is what we might understand that in our, in our modern context. I think Jonah is more expressing the sense of, if I can't predict how things go, if I don't do this and it equals that, and if they do that and they get that, well, I can't live in a world that's so unpredictable and so full of grace and this. I, I, just, I need to know if I do A, I'll get B, and if they do A, they'll get C, kind of thing. I can't, can't live like this. But God said to Jonah, in verse 9, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right for you to be angry about the Remember God provided the plant? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Other translations say, I'm angry unto death. The way the story is told, it appears that he's just, he's just bitterly frustrated with a world not ordered like he wants it to be ordered. No justice. Right there in front of him, looking down from the hills in the east, right there in front of him, is this wicked city of darkness receiving love and grace and kindness and compassion. And he's the prophet. We've already remembered the, the sailors have said to him, what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm in the ministry. He's up on the hill and his plant has died. It's not like this is not even, it's not even fear. The city of darkness is getting grace and forgiveness. And I'm the man of God on the hill and my plant can't even stay alive. It's not happening. It is right for me to be angry about the plant. So angry, I wish I was dead. And I think, again, we've probably felt like that before, or at least the sentiment of that. Perhaps somebody undeserving in your estimate. And that happens. We, have, we deem people to be undeserving at times for different reasons and choices and decisions that they've made. Maybe they get a break, this undeserving person that's just made so many poor choices. The next poor choice they make is to buy a house that is so far beyond their reach that they're not even going to be able to afford the payments. And they realize that like a month later. So they sell the house, but they make $250,000 from their foolishness. And then eight months later, you go to put your house on the market, and a year later, it's still not sold kind of thing. And you're like, I'm so angry about this. That's not a true story. That's never happened to me. I'm not, I'm not, that's not happening. Just imagining these kinds of things. I'm so angry about this. I can't, I can't live in a world like this. These people made foolish decisions and ended up with a quarter of a million dollars. And I've made wise decisions. And can't even sell the house. Those kinds of things, those are, those are things that we see, things that we happen, uh, that we, we come across in life, in our stories, in our journeys. Can't sell your house and in the car that you had serviced last week, because you look after your things to keep them in order, breaks down and needs $1,600 worth of work done on it. Just, oh, Jonah up on the hill looking down on the city, agitated and angry and frustrated. Not suicidal, but so angry I could die. I can't live in a world like this. 
maybe the tame version of what Jonah's saying is like, it's really hard to live in a world of unpredictability. It's really hard to live in a world where good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. It's really hard to live in a world where you can work hard and go backwards and other people seem to make silly decisions and it all goes well for them. It's really hard to live in a world like that because it doesn't quite always make the sense that we would like it to make. There's not the order that we would like there to be. It's too much unpredictability and randomness. So we start to go, God, I wish you could make this world a little bit more of a karma kind of driven world. Where if I do this, I know where it will end up. And these people that are doing that, I know where they're going to end up. And yeah, that's not what we have unfolding in Jonah. We have grace unfolding. Grace. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And he says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are, 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And also, many animals. And then you go to Jonah chapter 4, verse 12 to 20. And you're like, hang on. There isn't a Jonah chapter 4, verse 12 to 20. There's only Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. There's not even a chapter 5, verse 1. That, that's, the, that's the end of the story. It's just, hang on. It's just come to an end. 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And also, many animals. And that's it. It finishes. There should be at least about eight verses. Kind of to round the story off a little bit. There, there must be some bit, bits missing. It's like one of those movies where you have the final scene and then, and then it goes black. And you're like, okay, they're about to cut to the final scene. And they don't. They, it cuts to the credits. And you're like, no, 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 no. And then you're like, ah, the credits will come. And then the final scene will be after the credits. So you watch the credits, like the whole time. And then up comes that little kind of funny logo. And you know, no, that's the last logo. There's no, this is really the end of the story. The story of Jonah doesn't have the Hollywood finish that perhaps we would might like it to have. I've made up eight verses that I feel would that kind of round off the story <laughs> a little bit more appropriately. And Jonah repented once more before the Lord. And in fact was appointed the local prophet and herald of Yahweh in the city of Nineveh. He married Princess Jasmine, named after her mother Jasmine, <laughs> wife of the Grand Sultan Aladdin. She was hot and they had many children. And Nineveh prospered and Jonah started a whale watching company based in the port of Joppa. <laughs> And in his old age, travelled with Yahweh's blessing to Tarshish on the south coast of Spain and died peacefully in a beach bungalow. <laughs> 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from their right. And many animals. It's not what we get. Really, the, the kind of last point of note... I mean, the point with the animals is they're all of God's creation. His heart is for all of God's, all of his creation. That, that's the kind of, that's the animal. Bit. But the, the last big point of note we get is, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? People and the animals. Now, if you remember from last week, I, I mentioned that the primary thing we have happening in the prophetic books 
all of them, the big ones, the major prophets and the minor prophets. The primary thing going on is not so much a foretelling of the future, though there are elements that foretell the future. Mainly what we have in the prophets is, is a call to wisdom in the here and now. A call to faithful discipleship in the here and now. If you continue to walk this path, it'll look like this for you. But if instead you turn and walk this path, that'll go well for you. That, that's one aspect that's primary to the prophets. The other aspect that is primary to the prophets is a revelation of what God is like. It calls to wisdom and also an insight into what God is like. The prophecy in Jonah doesn't reveal a lot. If you remember Jonah's kind of Napoleon Dynamite prophecy, kind of walking through the city. Uh, you need to turn or else destruction. <laughs> That's it. You need to turn or else destruction. That's about all he can kind of offer. Worst prophecy in the world, and then it has the greatest, the greatest result in the history of prophecy. The whole city repents, even the animals aren't allowed to eat, and even the goats have to put on goat fur as shot sign of their kind of repentance. So more Jonah is providing insight into the nature and the heart and the character of God. And we've seen a few of these kind of things unfolding. Um, the way the story is told, we see God sending great winds, providing a great fish, providing a plant, bringing along a worm, causing a vehement easterly wind. Uh, we want to be careful there as modern people not to read that as, oh, God's kind of sitting up in some throne with levers, kind of just controlling weather patterns and the movements of whales and all of these kinds of things to make his purposes come about. That's not really the revelation of the story, because you've got to remember this is an ancient Near Eastern context. Everybody just supposes that the gods control the universe. So, so that's kind of taken for granted. The revelation is God's salvation purposes will not be thwarted. That, that's, the, that's the insight. No, nobody in the ancient world is hearing that story and going, wow, God moves whales. They, you know, that's not what they're going is... God's heart is set on the turning, the repentance, that Nineveh would see, receive love and grace and mercy. Nothing will stand in the way of the love and the mercy and the compassion of God extending to where the love and the mercy and the compassion of God wants to extend. That's the, the insight from that bit. The revelation is that God's plans for salvation will not be cast aside by wayward humans. Um, we see this in Jesus. Jesus set his heart on Jerusalem. I wasn't going to turn to the left or right. The crowds wanted to make, take him by force and make him king, but he escapes the crowd. And then Peter says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We'll, we'll defend you and we'll pull swords out. And Jesus says, no, 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 get behind. He rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And we see in this story of Jesus, no, no, God's plans for salvation are not going to be thwarted by the good ideas humans have for how things could be a little bit better. So we see, we see that unfolding in, unfolding in the story. Uh, as we talked last week, we see the paternal nature of God. Coming alongside, relenting, even as Nineveh relents. Jonah is unable to mirror the grace and the mercy of God that he has received to the city of Nineveh. But even as Nineveh relents and turns, God relents and turns, and God self-reflects to Nineveh, what God's like. We see this paternal nature of God, mirrors grace and love and kindness. Uh, Matthew chapter 11 talks about, uh, Jesus says, I am lowly and gentle. And when we come before God in a lowly and gentle manner, what we have mirrored back to us is God who is lonely, uh, lowly and gentle. Here in the close of, uh, of Jonah, though, we've got one more kind of thing to pick up on this morning. Uh, in English, we read the word have concern, or to be concerned, or to pity. 
Uh, in the Hebrew, we have this word, uh, it's pronounced kus, I think, K-H-O-O-S would be the phonetic spelling, kus, but that's the dot in the triangle above. We have this word kus or hus. Um, Elizabeth Actemeyer in her commentary on the book of Jonah translates this as uh, meaning to act with tears in one's eyes. To act with tears in one's eyes. Should I not be concerned? Act in a concerned manner. Act with pity. Should I not act towards Nineveh with tears in my eyes? Which is a pretty kind of stunning picture. Of course, the point to note is that Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, the evil empire. Later, we'll read of Jesus standing over Jerusalem and weeping, looking down on the city with tears in his eyes. But Jerusalem is the capital city of the chosen people. Here we've got God concerning God's self with Nineveh, the city of darkness. Should I not act towards Nineveh with tears in my eyes? It's grace upon grace. Uh, it's a metaphor, of course. God's, we are going to do a series one day, what we talk about when we talk about God. But God's not a being that has eyes with tears, so it's a metaphor to reveal something of the nature of God. Should I not act with tears in my eyes? And then, question mark, that's the kind of end of the story. And the answer in one sense is no. For ancient Near Eastern people, no. The gods should not act towards cities with tears in their eyes. The gods are above. The gods are beyond. The gods need not concern themselves with the behavior and actions of just smite them. The gods are tyrannical. The gods are so far beyond that in one sense the answer is no you shouldn't act towards the city with tears in your eyes and yet the story of Jonah is telling us something about what the real God is actually really like so the answer then is of course you should act like that and Jonah knows this because Jonah's already said God's gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love Jonah should know the answer to the question is oh yeah of course you should act towards the city with tears in your eyes because you are Gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Of course you should. Questions just left kind of hanging there. To act with tears in one's eyes is to act void of ego. To act with tears in one's eyes is to act void of ego, without ego. To act from a place of wholeness and wholesomeness. The holy, whole and wholesome. Tears don't come from ego. Tears come from that holy, whole and wholesome place of seeing correctly, perceiving correctly, understanding correctly. Ah, 120,000 people that don't know the left from the right and all the animals. This is all of God's good creation. God sees and acts and knows. So if God's one who acts towards Nineveh with tears in his eyes or acts towards people with tears in his eyes, the question is really more a question for us about us, for Jonah about Jonah, than it is really about God. God Jonah's already yeah, slow to anger and bounding. The question is really, should not we be those who act towards others with tears in our eyes? 
question's really directed at all those that are to read the story rather than, or hear the story rather than Jonah. It's a question about God, but simultaneously it's a critique of all those that are listening to the story. The self-righteousness that we so easily embrace. Our wish so often that people would just get what is coming to them. That good people would get good things and bad people would get bad things. We, we wish that. Should we not be those that act with tears in our eyes? Gracious compassion. That's kind of the implied call of Jonah. You know, I talk about you know, there's not a lot in the prophecy. You know, forty more days, then destruction. No, there's not a, not a lot there. You know, a general call to faithfulness, mostly a revelation of God. But this closing question suddenly comes becomes the bit that ah, oh, okay, are, are we ones that are acting towards others out of ego or with tears in? Are we going to be the image bearers we're called to be and reflect the character and conduct of God? Or are we going to be like Jonah? And the, the right answer to the question is, don't be like Jonah. Be like God. Jonah's angry to the point that he could die because his plant withered up. Whereas God is acting with tears in his eyes towards him. Never be like God. Wipe them out. They deserve it. That's what Jonah thinks. Can we act with tears in our eyes towards our ex-husband or ex-wife? Towards the business partner, perhaps, that took the money and did a run? The neighbour that you know stole that thing from your shed while you were away on holiday, but you can't prove it. That kid in your class that said that thing about you, or the teacher many years ago that said that thing about you. The work colleague that lied about you and got the promotion and you didn't get the promotion. The people that voted for that political party and then that political party went and did A, B and C. The MC telling that G.I.J. joke. Too, too soon? No? no. <laughs> Can we act with tears in our eyes towards those that we deem essentially to be the enemy or the other or the the ones that shouldn't be getting that. We hope that life will catch up on them and they'll get what they deserve. And yet God says, no, 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 no. Don't hope for life to catch up on them and them to get what they deserve. Act with tears in your eyes towards them. Or do our eyes burn with spite or anger or bitterness or revenge or hatred? Angry eyes. Remember my kids when they're little, it's like, oh, you've got your angry eyes out. It's like, yeah, I do have my angry eyes out. Don't behave like that. Angry eyes. We don't know what it's like to see angry eyes or revenge-filled eyes or hate-filled eyes. It doesn't have to be as dramatic, though. Eyes for justice only. Eyes for justice. Eyes for fairness. Eyes that the right thing happens. It need not be evil eyes or angry eyes. It can just be, I have an eye for justice and fairness and nothing else. And God says, well, I've got an eye for justice and fairness as well. But I also know how to act with tears in my eyes. 
And I think until we've learned to act with tears in our eyes with the world around us, we haven't quite learned to act like God would have us to act. That's the big challenge of Jonah. God, to Jonah, you love your plant. You love your plant. It, just remember, it wasn't Jonah's plant. Remember, but anyway, you love your plant. I love the city of Nineveh. I want the mob, the murderer, the villain, the gossip, the backstabber, the betrayer, the thief on the cross, the victim, and the perpetrator to find redemption. To find love, to find grace, to find compassion. I will act with tears in my eyes towards all those kinds of people. Like, oh no, there's certain kinds of people I'll act towards with tears in my eyes, but certain that not God. People of Nineveh and all the animals representing all the created. I'm redeeming and restoring and rescuing and repairing everything. Neighbors and loners and victims and enemies, the entire cosmos. Kind of brings us to the close of Jonah, though I think I'll tie some things in for Palm Sunday and Easter, perhaps. It also brings us to the Lord's table this morning. We gather to receive, what do we gather to receive? We gather to receive the love and grace of God.